This podcast is brought to you by DeMarini. Are you ready to join the uprising? More than 150 programs around the nation have, including back-to-back Division I and II national champions, Oregon State and Tampa, and Division III national champion Keene. Log on to demarini.com backslash dnation and check out the Voodoo Minus 3 to see why the SC3 alloy is the most powerful and durable performance alloy on the market. It gives you the pop you need to get along because chicks don't dig the ground ball. The Uprising, coming to a ballpark near you. Welcome once again to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. And it's part two of our college preview podcast, our college top 25 podcast. You're going to get these every week, every Monday during the college baseball season. They won't be an hour long, Aaron. Hopefully just one part. But we will, yeah. Hopefully not a two-part podcast. But we hope you enjoy the two special two-part podcast. And also, we're going to break about 15 minutes in. And we're going to take a couple podcast questions because we have made that resolution. So even though they're not college questions, we will break in Medio in the middle of this podcast and read a few podcast emails because they've really kind of flooded in here. And we've got four or five of them, and I, I want to keep that resolution and answer those pod, those questions, and you can obviously help, but I'll, I'll probably take most of the, the bulk of them since they are not college. But let's get back to our college top 25. When we left you yesterday... We mostly uh, talked about the West. In fact, we almost exclusively talked about the West. And that only really <laughs> involves seven top 25 teams. We have a lot of ground to cover today. Um, Aaron, do you want to start off with our Southeastern teams, your Vanderbilts and Mississippi and North Carolina at 3-4-5? Or should we talk about maybe a little bit more contentious rankings, it seems like, our Midwestern-oriented teams? It seems like we are not maybe as much in concert with the, our readers when it comes to Missouri at six, Michigan at eight, our ranking of teams in Texas like Baylor, Texas, Rice, and then also our Louisiana teams, Lafayette and Tulane. Where do you want to start? Well, let's start with what you just mentioned, John. Let's talk about the Midwest because uh, we've got a number of Midwest teams in the rankings uh, in this preseason, and, and uh, Missouri at six is the highest, and I think that was perhaps a little bit of a bold choice. Um, I think we recognize that Missouri has one of the premier pitching staffs in the nation, um, starting with, of course, Aaron Crow, who's a strong candidate to go number one overall, had a brilliant Cape Cod League, uh, was very good last spring, winning nine games for Missouri, and I think he's going to take a leap from that and become a, uh, a true All-American for them. I love Kyle Gibson, another power arm. I mean, we could be talking about the number one pick in the next two years here, you theoretically. Could. But first, at the very least, they have two guys who are very much on the short list to be the number one, the first college pitcher picked in each of the last two drafts. And I think more important than that, this is not just a talent selection. No. It is talent, but those guys have performed. You know, Aaron Crow threw 118 innings last spring, and right. he was good. He wasn't great, but he was good, and he was durable, and there's a lot of value in that. And I, I do think he's poised to make that next leap. Kyle Gibson was outstanding as a freshman last year, kind of in a fireman role, 77 strikeouts and 68 innings, uh, seven saves. Uh, Riggs Zagone is a classic, uh, durable college lefty, good guy to have out there. Some teams he matches up great with, others not so much. And, but you know what, and they also have the, the third member of their weekend rotation back in Ian Berger. Uh, we don't even tend to, to, to think about that guy, but, I mean, this team has, has depth starting. They've got uh, depth in the bullpen with um, uh, Scooter Hicks back there and, and, you know, a guy who's not overpowering but just gets it done with his, his savvy. They've got... Uh, uh, Greg Folger, I think, is going to assume more of a role in the bullpen, um, you know. And so this is this is a team that is very, very, very good on the mound. But I think their offense is easy to overlook. Um, you know, there's some very good players in this offense. Trevor Coleman, um, a catcher who hit nine home runs as a freshman, 
uh, a nice power bat to start off with there. Aaron Senny, I think, has uh, uh, huge raw power, and he flashed that in North Woods League this summer. He flashed as a, as a freshman as well, hitting hitting seven home runs. It was a really good freshman class, now sophomore class for this team. Uh, Senna, Coleman, and Gibson, those three guys are three of the key uh, parts of that class. And really, to me, those three guys all have to take big steps up. I think it's they have the talent to do that, Aaron, and they have the experience to go from being really support role players to being kind of the key pieces yeah. of this team. I mean, Gibson was a key piece last year, but I think he's going to throw maybe twice as many innings this year right. as he threw that year, maybe 40%, 50% more uh, innings as he did last year, uh, moving into the weekend rotation this year. Uh, to me, the, the offense is the question. They're the reason I kind of give Missouri the benefit of the doubt. They do have talent, but now, let's face it, this has been a very consistent program, yeah. and they get a little bit better every year, it seems like, and Tim Jamison really, I think, deserves you know, all the credit. Missouri's not at the forefront of the of the uh, Big 12 in terms of finances. They're not a huge football s- revenue school. I mean, they're good. Obviously, they had a great year this past year, but their football revenue, I think, pales in comparison with some of their peers in that league. They are not uh, – they don't have, like, a flagship basketball program like Kansas – uh, you know, to me, this is, uh, this is not a team you would, they don't have a great facility. It's a good facility, but you don't look at Missouri and say, well, well, it makes perfect sense why Missouri would take this leap forward. Like six, seven, eight years ago, you looked at Nebraska, and they made that leap forward, and it made sense. Nebraska, yeah, they didn't have great weather advantages, but they had so much football money in the late 90s. People forget how good that football program was. Right. Uh, and they had a $34 million facility they built, and uh, it made sense when Nebraska made a giant leap forward. Missouri has had to deal with fewer resources than Nebraska had or some of their other peers have had or that the single-minded focus of, say, a Wichita State. They've done it because of they've been resourceful. They've recruited well. The state of Missouri is, and uh, Jim Callis loves to talk about it, it's an underrated source of talent. Uh, baseball, high school baseball in Missouri is pretty good. And uh, I think Missouri's done it the exact right way. They've been consistent. They've won a regional here or there. Uh, I think this is a program that is poised to make that leap. They've been very consistent. What is it, five straight? Regional trips, right. second longest string in the Big 12 <laughs> after uh, after Texas. Uh, this is a good program. I think it's an overlooked program. And to me, this is the year where they are best positioned to take, quote-unquote, the leap from good program into potential elite program. Completely agree, John. And, uh, you know, just going back to their lineup for one moment here, then we'll move on. Um, you talked about that sophomore class, and Greg Folger is another guy who I think is, is a key part of that group, not just on the mound, but... He's going to play second base for them, and they really like this kid uh, as, as a scrappy spark plug with surprising strength for, for a smaller guy. Uh, he's probably going to hit in the two-hole or the six-hole for them. Um, you know, this is this is a pretty deep lineup. I mean, I really like Jacob Friday with the senior leadership and the big bat as, as a DH. Uh, I think Ryan Lawless has, has all the tools in the world and could be poised for a breakout season. So, I mean, this is... I think it's going to be a solid offense, certainly good enough uh, with, with, that, with that pitching staff. Yeah, and it could have been a, a top-five team, really, a top-two top team, uh, in my mind, if uh, they hadn't lost uh, Evan Fry and Brock Bond, right. uh, a couple of second-day draft picks who signed anyway. So. And they think Greg Folger will be their new Brock Bond. Uh, they think he's got, he's, he can be that kind of a player. So uh, we'll see how that, how that pans out. So we're pretty uh, convinced in our own minds that Missouri will be the – Best team in the Big 12. They rank ahead of Baylor. They rank ahead of Texas. I think it's a surprise that we have them ranked ahead of Texas to some people. I guess uh, maybe I shouldn't have these questions about Texas's pitching, but I do. Uh, you should. I, I, don't I, I don't, I'm not convinced that Texas is going to be 
the great pitching team they've been the last few years. Adrian Alanis was a rock for them for three years. Very consistent, very good. James Russell was their year. Friday night starter. People right. forget that. He's gone now. And, and, you know, there are questions about them in the bullpen. Randy Boone was a four-year contributor for them, and he's gone. So clearly Texas is always going to have talent. But I, I'm not convinced that this is a team will pitch like – we have come to expect Texas to pitch. And, and I do like Austin Wood. I think he'll be solid on Fridays. I don't think he'll be overpowering. I mean, I don't think he's better than Aaron Crow or Kendall Valls or maybe Kirkland Rivers, some of these guys, and the, uh, Stephen Porley from Oklahoma, uh, Andy Oliver. I mean, I would put him lower than all those guys that I'm ranking Friday night starters in the Big 12. Um, but he's, he's solid. He certainly is one. I mean, that's one thing. you, you got to give him credit. He's a winner. Um, and, and behind him in that rotation – I think, I think Brandon Workman and Casey Whitmer are both exciting power arms, but Brandon Workman's a freshman, and, and he's got a big-time arm strength. Uh, but there are a few questions mechanically with him, and will he throw strikes? That's, that's an issue. Um, Casey Whitmer, again, coming off a big summer for the, for the, in the Texas Collegiate League. He was the number one prospect in that right. league, uh, but he didn't really contribute an awful lot at Florida State last year. Um, let's, let's wait to see what we get from him. I, I think he could be very good for them, but it's, it's not a sure thing. The guys they list as their top four pitchers, Aaron, have combined for 100 college innings. That's a paucity of, <laughs> of experience there, and, and, and I just think that's amazing. Uh, you, know, you have one junior, uh, a lot of underclassmen. I mean, Austin Woods, 86 innings. Case Whitmer, 14. Their two top uh, pitchers are freshmen. So I, it doesn't mean they don't have depth. But this is a lack of experience and talent versus experience. Uh, I always take talent, and they do have talent. But I guess I'm not convinced that that talent will necessarily play through consistently all year because it is uh, inexperienced. But that said, Texas offense is pretty doggone good. It, it is. It is good. I mean, particularly you know with Jordan Danks and Kyle Russell, that's where it starts. But but they've got some holes to fill here as well. I mean, um, I, I think Brennan Bell has potential, um, but he you know he, he's. You know, again, he's got to, he's got to prove it. I mean, this right. is a guy who had a lot of potential, but um, let, let's see let's see what he does at the Division One level. Um, Michael Torres had kind of a down year at USC. Um, David Hernandez, you could say the same thing at Fresno State. I think both those guys were kind of disappointing last year. Right, they're going to have to be a lot better for Texas's offense to be as good. Um, and, and Travis Tucker, I think the same thing is has probably needs to take a step forward for them. I mean, these guys are replacing some big bats like Bradley Suttle. Right, um, they do Josh have Prince is gone now. Yeah. I mean, th- th- there are some holes here. I think it's a, it should be a very good offense. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a great offense. Right, and, and, I, and I think I do think a lot as uh, was the case last year will depend on the health of Preston Clark, the redshirt junior catcher. Uh, he's had knee problems uh, throughout his career, and you know he's he was only good last year. He wasn't as good as we've seen Preston Clark, and as as good as scouts have seen Preston Clark, and you know him staying healthy and being that leader that rock behind the plate. Catcher is such an important position in college baseball. You need that leadership out of your catcher. How Keeping Preston Clark healthy, I think, is paramount for Texas. Rice is ranked ahead of Texas and ahead of Baylor. We have them ranked as the top team in the state of Texas. Rice 14, Baylor 15, Texas 16. And yet, uh, you know, to me, Rice has a very big hold to fill, almost bigger than Texas, but they also do have, in my mind, more back, more balance. Yeah. Um, all that said, I think Rice has some significant questions. And, you know, both these teams usually answer the questions. It's Wayne Graham, it's Augie Garrido, it's Rice, it's Texas. You know, these teams usually answer the questions. Right. But to me, this is the least uh, impressive team Rice has had in the preseason. 
uh, in some time. I mean, they're almost always a preseason top ten team. Right. I'm not con- I wasn't convinced they were preseason top ten this year. And I, again, they have questions behind the plate. Adam Zorst played a lot last year, but I think they're going to really miss Danny Lehman. I think they're going to miss his leadership and his defense. They will miss him, I think, a lot more than people realize. And, and you know, and they up the middle, look what they lost. They, they lost their shortstop, Brian Friday, a guy who's been a catalyst for them for a long time now. They lost Tyler Henley in center field. I mean, these are tough players to replace. And, and well, I you just talked about three key players up the middle. That was a huge reason why we liked Rice so much last year and a huge and it, and reason why they were so good. Premium right. players, especially defensively, catcher, shortstop, center field, they have to replace all three of those. And for me, that's the huge reason why they're not a top-10 team heading into the year. Um, and and, and let's not forget about Joe Savory. The, the, <laughs> the only their best player the last three years. Exactly. A guy who's, who's done it all for them on offense and on the mound for, for three years. Um, they've got some big pieces to replace. And, and, you're again, you're plugging in guys who have promise. Um, but, you know, Adam Zorns is definitely not going to be the defensive catcher that Danny Lehman was. He could hit like Danny Lehman. He does have some power. Right. Um, but, but you're definitely losing something defensively there. I love Rick Hague at shortstop. But, again, he's a freshman. Uh, let's hedge our bets a little bit here. Same with Chad Mazingo in center. I, I think Chad Mazingo will step right in. But it's going to be hard to step right in and replace the kind of production and leadership you got from guys like Friday and Henley. And then at, at first base, you're sliding in J.P. Padron for, for Joe Savory, a guy who's got tons of raw power but has been disappointing everywhere he's been. I, I hate to put it that way, but that's the only way you can really put it. He he's not got lived, a lot to prove this year. He has not lived up to being, what was it, a 12th-round pick at a high school unsigned. This guy's been drafted. Deal. Yeah, he was a big deal. Was, he had many leather-bound books. He is a big deal, and uh, yeah, his office smelled of rich mahogany, and he just hasn't lived up to that yet. So we like Rice. They're number 14. We just see some caveats in Rice they, as well. They do have a lot of pitching depth. I will give them that. I think uh, uh, given the um, the compacted schedule, I think that could be an advantage for them. Um, I, I think their frontline pitching is decent. Uh, I actually, you know, Ryan Berry had a terrific freshman year, but down the stretch he really wasn't very good, and he really wasn't wasn't great for Team USA either. Uh, I feel like every time I saw this guy, he was getting lit up. So. Um, I'd like to see him you're do a jinx. for a full season. You're, you're just maybe, a jinx on Ryan Barry. Yeah. I like Ryan Barry, but uh, I agree. To me, the bottom line is when Rice needed a win last year in Omaha, they went to Joe Savory, and when Joe Savory couldn't get back on the mound for them after they started off 2-0, they couldn't close the deal. And uh, Joe Savory was their money guy for three years, and that's a lot to replace. doesn't mean they can't replace him, and they do have pieces around that could replace him, but – they still have to do it, and I, I, to me, I look at that and see a pretty big question mark. How do they replace right. Joe Savory? I don't see an obvious answer. Like in 2005, they had to replace Umber Neiman Townsend, but there was an obvious answer. Joe Savory, right. he was freshman of the year. He was awesome as a freshman. There was an obvious answer. I don't see that obvious answer right now. Aaron. And one, one more thing here, John, is that, I mean, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised, of course, if Rice put it together and, and wound up in Omaha again. And, and I clearly I, expect them to win Conference USA. They yeah. won every league they've been in since 1996. They won the Southwest Conference Tournament. They've won every regular season or shared of every league they've been in since 97. It's an amazing stream. And, and I think there are a lot of good teams this year. I really do. I think that any one of these teams in our top 20 uh, could be a legitimate, legitimate contender for Omaha. Um, and, and so this isn't one of those years. Last year, I think, heading into the season, I felt like, you know, there were about eight teams that I really thought were a cut above everybody else. And it, as it turned out, that didn't include several Omaha teams. But, right. But this year, I really think that, you know, just because you're not ranked in the top eight doesn't mean we don't think you can go to Omaha. Yeah, I think any of these 25, top 25 teams, uh, and the, the parity in college baseball gets greater and greater every year. And I think there's t- probably 25, 35 teams 
I have a legitimate shot where you can see, okay, everything comes together for this team. They stay healthy, yada, yada, yada. You can see them in Omaha. I do think the, the pool of teams I could really see as a national champion is smaller right. uh, than that. But I, I, I definitely think in past years, you'd see really like top 15 teams. And past that, I, I think anybody else getting to Omaha would have been a shocker. But in the 64-team era, there's almost always one or two teams that get to Omaha right. that no one saw coming. And that's, that's just college baseball today, and it's great for the sport. Baylor at 15, uh, a team that was not ranked in the last year, RPI at 30. A uh, very, very young ball club last year. And, and they still made a regional. They still made a regional. They got a lot of experience. They got a lot of sophomores. But to me, the key to this team and why I like this team so much, they're good there. <laughs> maybe, we, maybe we harp on this theme a little too much. They're pretty strong up the middle. I love Beamer Weems at shortstop, and I love yeah. Rainer Campbell at second base. Steve Smith says Rainer Campbell might be his best player. Kind of compares him a little bit to Arkansas' Logan Forsyth, who we saw have a banner summer with Team sure. USA. That kind of player, maybe not a pure second baseman, but he wanted his best talent up the middle. I, I think that Baylor's a team with young talent that takes that next step. Completely agree. And, and, and you know, it's Campbell and Hanson are two nice interchangeable parts. They each play second base or third base. He's so hot right now. They're, they're both good athletes and, and good hitters and grinder types. And, uh, you know, the, the key for this team, I think, will be how several of those, those high-profile sophomores progress here in their second year. I mean, I think they're really hoping for – uh, a big jump from guys like Aaron Miller, Dustin Dickerson, Kendall Valls, and Sean Tolleson now as a redshirt freshman. Right, but that uh, class, that recruiting class is Those uh, are huge. the guys who I think uh, were, were solid as freshmen, but, but maybe not quite as good as Baylor hoped they'd be. Um, and, and I think that how they progress and whether they become legitimate big-time stars like they're, they're capable of being is, is the big question for Baylor. But well, we believe in Baylor, uh, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, we had Steve Smith, I think, was our coach of the aughts in 1999. We thought he'd be the guy uh, kind of setting the pace, and um, he hasn't made us look bad. He's made us look pretty good. Uh, this is a very consistent program, and uh, they do a great job. And, uh, boy, even their basketball program is starting to come along now. Uh, big win against Texas A&M last night, five overtimes. That's, how's, the, how's the women's basketball team doing? Yeah, they're ranked as well. <laughs> uh, they're award-winning author slash uh, uh, women's basketball coach. Uh, climbing the charts. Um, other Midwest teams we'll touch on real quick, Aaron, because we're already deep into it. Tulane at 22, Aaron. I think a lot of people uh, look at Tulane as a team with a 101 RPI last year, the worst loss in college baseball last season, single-game loss, them losing at home to Chicago State. What's going to be different about Tulane this year? Why will Tulane make that leap from a team that was a major disappointment last year to a regional team again this year? You know, mostly it's because I, I don't think this is a program that needs to take a leap. It just needs to get back on track. Right. This has, been a, this has been a great program this decade. And last year was the aberration, not the norm. Uh, they were, you know, the, the circumstances were very difficult for this program last year. Playing in Zephyr Field, a, a spacious ballpark that I think really hurt their hitters' confidence. Right. Um, and, and, you know, they, they kind of went in the tank after a while. And, and they spent the fall in, uh, in Lubbock. Uh, obviously, post Katrina, their campus was really not even inhabitable. That was a very, very difficult year. It's hard to. We're not trying to make excuses, but that was not normal in any way, right. shape, or form. And, and, and you know, and to be fair, the, the way they responded to adversity down the stretch was disappointing. I thought they really did not. Uh, uh, they didn't really take a step step forward, and, and it didn't seem like you know. I, I'm not going to say that they they quit on Rick Jones because I, I wouldn't ever say that. I think Rick Jones is. Does a great job, obviously, but they they didn't seem to have a 
they'd be playing with a lot of energy in the Conference USA tournament. It's hard. It's really hard to uh, say good things about their year last year. It yeah. was really, I mean, it wasn't a disaster. It was thirty-four and twenty-six. However, but it was they they fell far short of expectations. There were reasons for that, but they also I think the players deserve you know some of that should t- need to take yeah. that responsibility. And, We'll see how they respond to that this year. But And they've got some guys back who I think have a lot to prove, like Warren McFadden is, is the first guy Absolutely. that comes to mind. Um, you know, a guy who's been there. He's been there for the disappointments. And, you know, he's a guy who, who had a, all kinds of talent and expectations coming in. Uh, hasn't really tapped into that potential. Um, I think him and A.J. Bardo out there, and, you know, that, that's a, a good athletic outfield. Uh, and you throw Drew Elaine into the mix, who's, right. who's a guy who's garnered Rocco Baldelli comparisons uh, in the past. Healthy Rocco Baldelli comparisons. If, if, if Drew Elaine is healthy, which right. has been a question for him in the past. But those three guys are, I think, an exciting athletic group. I think Josh Prince brings some athleticism to shortstop, a guy who uh, you know, hit 371 as a freshman at Texas. Pretty impressive. Sam Honick, big-time power at first base, a guy that people don't know a lot about. They will soon. I think he's a... Uh, the new Mark Hamilton there at Tulane, that kind of a player. Nice. Um, you know, shoot, Shooter Hunt, uh, obviously we know about a power arm, all-American type. Uh, Aaron Loop was a top prospect in the Clark Griffith League this summer, a left-hander who I think will have a breakout season for them. I love Robbie Broach, a freshman on, on Sundays. Um, and Mason Griffin, I think, is, again, a, I mean, this was a, a great group of transfers was the, the, big, the big key here. They infused yep. a lot of talent. Um, and a lot of a lot of excitement into this. Frankly, post Katrina, they have a pretty big hole recruiting. It's hard to recruit when you don't have a campus to recruit to. Right. And Tulane's always recruited very well, and there was a little hole there, and they had to go the junior college route. I think this is just, you know, I think that you can explain them taking a dip. This is a big year, I think, for the Tulane program to yeah. show that last year was a blip. I have confidence in that coaching staff and in that program and in these players that they are going to. Uh, do that. So uh, while we like Louisiana Lafayette a little bit better, I think Louisiana Lafayette has a little bit, uh, you know, that, uh, a deep pitching staff and have a deeper lineup and they're a little bit more complete team, a, a few more, more known quantity yeah, than Tulane is. I think Lafayette was a da- very dangerous team last year. I think it'll be a very dangerous team again this year. Tony Robichaud, their coach, knows what it takes to get to Omaha. Granted, it's been eight years since 2000, but uh, I-, I do think Lafayette. Is really a, a, an outstanding sleeper kind of team and really a program that people kind of shouldn't sleep on. They had kind of a Midwestern run really here from 19 to 22, Aaron, with Lafayette 19, Wichita 20, A&M 21, Tulane 22. Right. And, John, just one, one thought on Lafayette. I don't know yeah. if, there's a, if there's a tougher guy to face as a hitter in the nation than Danny Farquhar, who, who just is uh, uh, vicious the way he can he – can, you know, he's got nasty stuff from two completely different angles. He right. can drop down to a sidearm angle and go back up to over the top – uh, and, and, and both from both slots, he's very uh, deceptive and, and has a lot of life. So he's he's a uh, uh, guy to really keep an eye on. He showed an ability to be effective as a starter, to be effective out of the bullpen. He misses bats. He's a difference-making kind of pitcher. And uh, you know, if you're going to lose a player like Jonathan Lucroy, your best player, uh, second-round pick, Thad Griffin, highly touted recruit yeah. behind the plate. He's a freshman catcher. That's a concern. That's a caveat, I think, for this team. But he's a very talented freshman catcher as well. So, and Lafayette, Wichita State, a team I think, Aaron, both of us were, if, if everything comes together for Wichita, you know, they were my Omaha sleeper last year. They fell short losing at home in a Super Regional to Irvine. But Wichita's a team that they, they lost quite a bit offensively. Again, if there were a few more known quantities, I would have seen Wichita further up our rankings. They do have star power in the Connor Gillespie's and the Aaron Schaefer's and you know, Rob Musgraves of the world. Very good pitching. I think a little bit, again, a more of an unknown offensively, offensively for this team. Yeah. Can they replace the likes of Damon Sublett and Matt Brown 
uh, in their lineup and be as explosive offensively as they need to be. And that is the question, and it's the question that, that Gene Stevenson, I think, who is, who is typically conservative when assessing his team's right. chances, uh, he says, well, our offense wasn't very good last year, and, uh, you know, I, we, we lost our best, our best hitters. But, but, look, they've got Gillespie back. Uh, they've got uh, Josh Workman. If he can stay healthy, might be the key to this whole thing. He's, he's really a guy capable of having a monster year. He's, he's just been hampered he's with injuries. He's an athlete. An athlete. Dynamic player. Uh, and, a, and a terrific pure hitter. Um, you know, and, and Andy Durst, I think, is a catalyst uh, at the top of the lineup, a guy who had a great summer in the North Woods League. Keep an eye on him. He's a very disruptive player. Um, you know, they've got more speed in this lineup, as usual, at Wichita State. Uh, Ryan Jones, a terrific athlete who is kind of uh, tool-wise compares to Matt Brown, one of those all-around guys, but has, I think, right. a chance to be an even better player. Um, but he had a, a very, very rough fresh, freshman year. He needs to put that behind him. Um, Cody Lastly, I mean, Dusty Coleman, good athletes. He's, he, there's a lot of potential in this lineup. And I, I also think it doesn't hurt for Wichita that, you know, the last three years Creighton's been very, very good. Creighton's pretty much regrouping. It's an all-new infield. They, they, they're built on – Creighton's built on – Pitching and defense have been a, probably the best defensive team in the country if you take the last three years. Uh, so consistent, turning tons of double plays. Right. They're replacing that middle infield. They're, they lost their closer. They do have Pat Van Deep back. But Evansville, which we had very high hopes for last year, they didn't quite live up to those, and they lost quite a bit from that team. I think the Valley is a little bit down. Last year was, I think, a year where the Valley had more talent. I think Wichita's clearly the best team in the Valley this year. And I completely agree, although I, I think this year you probably see a team like Southern Illinois, right. one of my favorite sleepers, stepping up right. and maybe – uh, competing for for the number two spot in that league, but I think Wichita Wich- State clearly the class of the league. I think Wichita at twenty, uh, that might be a conservative ranking for them. I do think Wichita is a great shot to be a, a regional host to win the valley, host a regional, and then you know see how the rest of their season plays out to win a, a super regional, uh, host a super regional. You know, last year they didn't take advantage of it; they couldn't beat Irvine. But this is to me a team that the pieces are there for them to make an Omaha run. I just didn't see them as a high ceiling, explosive, quite team to move up higher up our rankings. But it is a, a nice team, and if everything comes together, you could definitely see Wichita uh, getting back to Omaha. But, you know, one more thing about Wichita. They have not been in the College World Series since 1996. You know, that, that's a long time. This is it's still a very, very good program, but this is not the Wichita of old. Uh, I, I do think Wichita is well-positioned for the compacted schedule. They're used to playing five games a week anyway. They always have pitching depth. Chief Stevenson knows how to – how, how uh, to roll with that. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast. I guess we're going to finish with our podcast questions. So hang in there, and you can send those in for next uh, week as well at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Aaron, toward the bottom of our list, I guess we haven't talked about the ACC and SEC teams on our list, so we're going to have to do this quickly. Vanderbilt Mississippi at 3 with South Carolina at 12. Let's really quickly first talk about the SEC teams. First, why in that order, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, South Carolina, and second of all, uh, why Ole Miss, I guess, uh, that high? I guess it seems like we uh, are on that island with the Ole Miss up that high, despite the fact that they've you know, gone to Super Regionals three years in a row. And <laughs> this is a pretty good program. It's, it's, a, it's a very good program, and I really think this is the year they finally break through to Omaha. Um, the power arms, the experience, the depth on the mound. Um, I love this pitching staff. But, but their offense is going to be very good. I mean, yeah, they lost Zach Cozart, but they've got – uh, Logan Power back. They've got Cody Overbeck back. They've got Jordan Henry back, a freshman All-American last year. Um, you know, you're, you're adding very talented hitters in, in Michael Guerrero and Michael Hubbard. 
Um, you know, Evan Button, I think, will step in and play shortstop, and he won't be as good as Zach Kozar, non-American, right. but he'll be very solid for them. They're, they're very confident in him. I just don't see a weakness on this team. I really don't see don't an either. obvious weakness. I don't either. Doesn't mean they aren't, it doesn't mean that they might not run into something, but... What's not point, to like here? You point to their offense. Our offense is pretty good. You point to their defense. Yeah, they're pretty strong. Kyle Henson, yeah, there's some, again, catcher, I think, is a very important position in college baseball. I mean, let's, let's take South Carolina as an example. They haven't gone to Omaha without Landon Powell. Uh, Lana Powell is pretty doggone good. Uh, they're really run of prominence with Ray Tanner. They've always had a really good catcher back there, whether it was Tim Whitaker or Brandon Pack or Landon Powell. They've always had, you know, really good. They've always been really, really good behind the plate. And that could be a question for them with Phil Disher this year having he's, replaced Trent Klein. He's an outstanding offensive player, Phil Disher. He's a really good college really hitter. Hit. Let's see how he functions behind the plate. And I guess... To me, South Carolina is probably the best offense of these three programs right now. Vanderbilt, um, as good as Vanderbilt is. I think they're probably a little more explosive than Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt has more depth offensively. Right. Um, I think Vanderbilt is, you know, honestly, I think Vanderbilt from top to bottom is, you, you do actually, this is, to be fair, I think maybe I like Vanderbilt's offense better. I might go okay. in another direction here because you've got explosiveness in the middle with Alvarez and Flaherty, um, you know, and Dominic Della Osa, of course, right. three All-American types. Um, you've got uh, guys surrounding them who I think are are just good, dangerous college hitters. I and mean, David Macias is a spark plug, just a tough guy to get out. I think they're a much more complete team, uh, Vanderbilt, than South Carolina is. Yeah. I think they have better, much better pitching um, and, a, and a very good offense. I still think South Carolina's offense is uh, as good. It's, it's really very much six, like Arizona State. It's, it's very much like Arizona State's lineup. Good call. Four, five, six stars and some question marks, but... Uh, those are also two coaches in Ray Tanner and Pat Murphy and two ballparks, frankly, that are very offensive. and uh, They're going to score runs. I'm not worried about either of those teams scoring runs. I'm not worried about Vanderbilt scoring runs either, but I think South Carolina's offense is the class of the SEC. Uh, I mean, you're right. That, that would be the con- conventional wisdom, certainly. I, uh, you know, you're, you're welcome to, to, to not participate. Uh, I really like Vanderbilt's offense, but, I mean, if you look at some of these bats, certainly Disher and Darnell and, uh, you know, Crisp and Smoke and uh, – Havens is kind of an X factor for them. Will he right. build upon his big Cape Cod League summer and, and become the, the elite prospect that people you know want him to be? Um, you know, even if he's not an elite prospect, he's got to have a better season than right. last spring. But South Carolina was not a team that got it done with pitching last year, and they have an, on paper less pitching this year. Um, I. I you know, if they had if they had more arms last year, they would have beaten North Carolina in the super regional. It's that simple. They're lack they of didn't depth. hold the lead yeah. in the third game. Uh, they you know they had no confidence in their bullpen at the end. The guys that they were running out there, um, and and they lost most of their best arms. I mean, Honeycutt's gone. Um, yeah, you know, Honeycutt and Eric Kemp. You, you know, when those guys Jeffers were is so you, gone. Yeah. I mean, Pelzer's gone. All these guys. Not that Pelzer was had a very good year last year. Right. But he was a good arm back there. So I mean. The, the pitching is the question mark with South Carolina. I think it's a very legitimate question. Uh, that's why they rank 12th. And, I mean, really, uh, their pitching, or lack thereof, really stands out in the top 25. This, might be, the, so. this might be the weakest pitching staff in the entire top 25. Uh, I really think so. Yeah, you know, I think you're right about that. I mean, most of the, I think most of the teams we ranked, John, this year are, uh, are, are balanced clubs. I think that's one thing that a lot of these clubs, especially at the top, have in common. And that's why we didn't really talk about Michigan, but – um, yeah, that, we that, that's that's a team that I like because of their balance. I think that they're very good um, on the mound again. I mean, with basically their entire you know rotation back. And, right. Um, they, they've got a, again experienced, balanced, dangerous offense. And no I, real weaknesses here, honestly. A team that has gone on the road to an SEC team that won fifty four games mm-hmm. and won a regional. Yeah. 
and beat David Price. And they've got all I the mean, key parts back. From I mean, I don't understand why there's any doubt about how good Michigan is. Right. This is that team, and this is uh, this is Michigan. <laughs> this is a program that has the resources. And this year, I think my well, winner for ignorant comment of the year last year was me ripping Michigan for not hosting a regional. Uh, they just didn't have – they weren't able to do one, to, to do so physically. Now they will be able to do so. Right. And I think Michigan is poised uh, for its best year since uh, Barry Larkin was there, basically, and Chris Sabo. So this is uh, this is a very, very good team. They do have a star in Zach Putnam. He's an outstanding college player. They have pitching. They're strong up the middle. I'm a big J- uh, J- Jason Christian fan. Uh, I think Michigan is the, the real deal, obviously, or else we wouldn't have them ranked eighth if you and I didn't think they were the real deal. Um, you know, East Carolina and Old Dominion, the back of our list, a couple of former rivals back in the old Colonial Athletic Association, uh, now East Carolina in Conference USA, Old Dominion uh, still in the CAA. Uh, you know, I think East Carolina is the ultimate balance team. There's not a star a, on this team. It's, a, it's but balanced. They, they, don't, they don't have a glaring weakness either. This is just an – I have a lot of respect uh, for, for this program, uh, for Billy Godwin and just the – Ability he has to grind the things out. They just play the game the right way. They play hard. They don't put yeah. on airs. And they've got grinders on this club. As Absolutely. Usual. Harrison Eldridge, I think, is the, is the number one guy there who sets the tone. Uh, the ultimate grinder. It's really a, it's a, it's a dirtbag kind of team. It is. Uh, that's, that's really what they are. And I, I mean that in the, in, the, in the best compliment. Steven Batts and Corey Kemp. I mean, all these guys, I, I think, Drew Scheiber. I mean, these are these are grinder guys. But they've also got some, some, some power with Kyle Roller, who's got huge power. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think... You could see Bats have a little bit hit for a little bit more power this year. I think you could see Ryan Wood hit for more power this year. So, and, then, and they have some X factors on the mound: uh, Matt Cox and Justin Bristow. Justin Bristow to me, kind of the biggest X factor for them. A very highly regarded player out of high school, um, out of the Norfolk area to again to bring it back into uh, uh, you know, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Norfolk area to bring it to tie it back into Old Dominion. Uh, you know, Old Dominion a little bit less depth, but I think we we're. we're to me, Old Dominion, they, they get the, their offensive igniter back in Jimmy Miles, who missed last season. That's, a, but that's two years, absolutely crucial for them. Him and Brian Cipolla. Right. Two years ago, though, Jimmy Miles was really the top leadoff man in the Colonial Athletic Association. If he's back and healthy, uh, this team will be good offensively. I have another X Factor in Dexter Carter, a six foot six right hander with big time stuff. Hasn't all quite come together for Dexter, Dexter Carter yet, but this guy was a 12th round pick in a high school. Yeah, uh, good summer in the Coastal Plain League. I think he could build upon that. But they have Dan Hudson and Anthony Schaller, that top two in their rotation here. And really, that's the reason that they're ranked in the top 25. Those two guys, I think, it's, make them competitive in any weekend series with any team in our top 25. Doesn't mean they're better, but they're going to be competitive with any team in the country as long as Dan Hudson and Anthony Schaller are healthy. That's that's it. You hit it on the head. And, 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 you know, if Dexter Carter is as good as he can be, then that takes the whole staff to a new level. I think they've got experience in the bullpen with Ryan Berg. Um, you know, and I think I don't think the offense is bad. You know, again, it, it, it will come down to Miles is healthy. His knee is, is back to full strength. He's running better than ever, according to their coaches. Um, you know, that's going to be crucial. I think Jake Macaluso is a guy who could take a big step forward for them at third base. Had a very nice freshman year last year. Not expected to play a lot, yeah. was forced to, and came through with it. And, again, you mentioned Brian Chipola, but also David Burns. Uh, let's see, how, those two guys have to kind of hold down the middle of that lineup and be run producers for Old Dominion. Non-top 25 teams, Aaron, is there a big sleeper for you, uh, a team that you, you didn't think uh, necessarily should be ranked off of, off the top of your head at the beginning of the year, a team that you really wouldn't be shocked if they ended up in a super regional down the line? You know, John, this might sound crazy, um, but I really like Auburn. And, and, uh, <laughs> I uh, should have known that. You should have known that, I think. But the, the pitching, I think, is going to be very good there. Um, I really like guys like Paul Burnside and Scott Schumann and 
uh, Luke Reinke and, and Taylor Thompson. I mean, it's it's a it's a good group of arms. Um, and yeah, they've got uh, a lot of younger players competing on um, in the lineup. I mean, guys like Scott Fletcher or uh, Brian Fletcher and, and uh, uh, the son of Scott Fletcher, incidentally. That's Ke- right. Kevin Patterson, a big time recruit. I think we'll, we'll probably see plenty of playing time. Then Hunter Morris, another one. I mean, these guys, I think, are, will probably be the key for them. Uh, but if they mature as as uh, as the Clemson coaching or the Auburn coaching staff anticipates, um, then I think this will be a very good team. I'd say Clemson was your other sleeper, but you you talked me into putting them in the top twenty-five. So we'll just put it that way. Clemson, a very young team, uh, obviously a team that has a great track Oodles record. Of firepower on the mound, and, and I think they've got some uh, some sophomores who will take steps forward, led by Addison Johnson. And that's again, that's a, that's a program that uh, basically the, at this point. Jack Leggett deserves a benefit of the doubt. Uh, Clemson's always good. Well, let's face it. <laughs> They're always good. And you could say the same thing about Cal State Fullerton if you want to play devil's advocate, which which we omitted from our top 25. But we addressed that yesterday. I think Clemson has more talent than uh, than Cal State Fullerton. No question in my mind. To, to me, uh, that, that's that's the separator between those two uh, ball clubs. Um, I, I don't know that I necessarily have a sleeper. I think it is amazing that – uh, Cal, we talked about this yesterday, Cal, Stanford, USC. It wouldn't shock me if any of those three teams pushed through and had a great year this year. If I had to put money on one of those three teams, I think it would be uh, Southern California. But uh, I have a sneaky feeling that Stanford is not going to be down for long. I just can't see them being uh, you know, not so good. And I guess the other team, I'll be very interested to see what Louisville does for an encore this year. They lost a lot. But let's not forget how good their pitching was last year. And they have Zach Pitts and Justin Marks back. Uh, that's kind of a lot like Old Dominion, you know, two really two pitchers who on Friday and Saturday are going to give you everything they have uh, and put them in contention to be uh, very competitive. I, I still think Old Dominion actually is a better better position to be good offensively uh, than uh, and, and Dexter Carter again is the X factor. I mean, giving you that that potential ace on Sunday. He is an X factor. Um, you know, that's that's a. But Louisville, which was obviously a surprise team in Omaha last year, and it's a great story. They're going to be good, and uh, you know, they're going to be very competitive in the in the Big East. One more sleeper. Go ahead. Pepperdine. A oh, good one. Love the arms. Love the arms. Brett I mean, Hunter. You will you will know who Scott Alexander is by the end of the season. I love Scott Freshman Alexander. Left hander. Um, I love Cole Cook. I mean, they, they just have Nate, uh, Nate Nate Newman. I mean, it's it's really a great group of, of pitchers there. Who's, there, who's a big donkey pitcher, a uh, freshman uh, who's going to close for them this year? Oh, I played football, had a knee injury. That's uh, that's Cole Cook, isn't it? No, no, he's a six six, uh, two hundred pound projectable guy. They have the, the uh, I'm going to have to look him up right now uh, on the, here on the Baseball America podcast with Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. The big donkey I'm talking about Hess. is Tyler Hess, is, yeah. who had a torn ACL from football. And I mean big donkey in a complimentary fashion, uh, Tyler, if you're listening. Uh, Tyler Hess, big, physical, hard thrower. Um, this is a guy who uh, could be a, they could be a difference maker. Uh, the West Coast Conference, uh, you know, San Diego and Pepperdine are your two top programs out there. But I agree, Scott Alexander, athletic, projectable left-hander. The year before, they lost uh, that recruit in Clayton Tanner, who had a very nice year in the Giants organization. This year, Pepperdine held on to Scott Alexander, who was really the top high school player in Northern California in 2007, and uh, they held on to him. And they've got a pretty good chance to be good offensively, too. They've got a lot of guys back, and they lost, you know, some big losses, obviously, in Danny Worth, Adrian Ortiz, but... Um, you know, Donald Brown. D- Donald Brown, I think, and, and Eric, Eric Timms could both be breakout guys. And a big move like was Nate Simon. I think Chase Darno. I think it's really yeah. going next. They Chase were great. Darno. They were they were much better last year when they had Chase Darno in the lineup than when they didn't. And now he's shifting from third base 
where he's considered really a premium defender to shortstop. So I agree with you. Pepperdine is a sleeper, and you know, Steve Rodriguez has done a great job over there. So let's yeah. let's talk a little bit about our Baseball America podcast emails. We've had a lot this month. Uh, so I'll read a few of them. Uh, first off, a good Nats question for you from Warren Worthington, one of our steadiest podcast emailers. How are the Nationals competing on the international front in terms of uh, acquiring players, Aaron? Uh, you know, when they signed Smiley Gonzalez, they trumpeted how they were suddenly big players. But uh, right now, it looks like he wants to know if there's been any follow-up. And also, uh, speaking of Gonzalez, what's his development? How's his development coming along in the in his first pro season? You know, I, I think I think his smiling is coming along just fine. Um, I think that the, the big factor with him, the reason that he dropped in our rankings this year, is because they probably oversold him his first year, and and and, and also it was a product of the fact that they just didn't have a lot in that system. I mean, yeah, he there was, was no, there was, he was really not a consensus top guy. Right. I, I know I doing the were, international covers in 06. Uh, there were some guys, who, some organization that really liked him. None that liked him that much. <laughs> no one liked him for that kind of money. But some that liked him that much, and some who thought he was a fifty thousand dollar player. So it doesn't mean that he can't be good. But he was not a consensus guy because there were questions about the bat. There are questions about the bat, and, and you know there are questions even from within that organization about whether he can play shortstop. I think uh, the growing consensus is starting to be that he will end up at second base. How, um, how they followed up, I guess, his signing was the better part of the question. I like that part of the question. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think they haven't done an awful lot with it. I think they weren't all that active on the international market this year. Certainly didn't make a splash, um, you know, of, of the size of Ismael Gonzalez. I mean, there's a couple of guys that they brought in, like a Sandy Leone uh, catcher who I think is interesting. Uh, but they didn't get any high-profile guys. Um, they really focused, I think, on beefing up through the draft this year. That was the primary. Uh, I mean, they had a lot of they had a lot of picks, right? And they, and they made good use of them. And they had uh, what do we rank it, John? The, the number two, number one, or two? Draft? Number one draft and number nine farm system overall. So I think, yeah, the Nationals had more resources with more ownership, uh, with real ownership, the last couple of years, uh, the last year and a half. But it's still not unlimited resources. I, I do think they'll be much more of a player going forward now that their new ballpark set to open. So uh, thanks for the question, uh, Warren. Luke Good, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, G-U-D-E, also emailed, uh, love your work, guys. What are your thoughts on Jeremy Helgson? To me, he looks like a power pitcher with lots of polish. Why did he rank below Jeff Neiman on the Rays' top ten? I'll take this question. I'm our resident Jeff Neiman apologist. Uh, Luke, uh, I'm, I'm still high on Jeff Neiman. I don't think he's going to be a number one or two starter. I think he's got a chance to be Andy Bennis, basically, a guy who can be a middle-of-the-rotation donkey, again, in a positive term. Uh, he's got to stay durable. My biggest question with Jeff Neiman is the arm action. He got a little twist when he pulls the ball out of the glove. I'm not sure when that started, but it's uh, it's a little unusual. I think it precludes him from having premium command, and it might. Uh, there's some questions about the durability. Also, he's a unique pitcher. He's 6'9", 280, uh, listed. Uh, he's a big donkey. Um, he's, he makes Tyler Hess look small. There's a lot of moving parts there for Jeff Neiman, but I saw Jeff Neiman a lot in 2007. I still think he could be an effective big league pitcher. His split finger came and went, but when it was on, he really handled left-handed hitters. Uh, he's got two breaking balls. I, I wish he threw his, his breaking balls a little bit more power sometimes, uh, but I think Jeff Neiman's going to be just fine. And in that organization now, he doesn't need to be the savior. He doesn't need to be the ace. Uh, you got Scott Casimir, Matt Garza, James Shields, David Price, Jacob McGee, Wade Davis. Holy shnikes, that's, that is pitching upside. And Jeremy Hellickson. I think a lot of Jeremy Hellickson, uh, I did our New York Penn League list in 2006. He was number one on that list. And I think Jeremy Hellickson does have some polish, and they're being conservative with him. The number one reason, though, I think you rank Jeff Neiman ahead of Hellickson. I think Hellickson's ceiling is higher. Jeff Neiman still has a high ceiling, I think, of a number three starter, maybe even a number two. Uh, but... He's also a triple-A, and the other guy hasn't gotten out of A-ball yet. So I will give advantage to 
you know, our ranking of Jeff Neiman there. Uh, Casey Harvey also emailed. I'm just going to read it just because Casey sent it in, but he wants to know uh, if we can get microphones on everyone participating, Aaron. And I will admit, Casey, that our last recording again, we had some technical issues. The couch over there, was we, we have found it been the problem. But Casey, not the podcast couch, as it turns out. It should not be, and it will no longer be the podcast couch. And we are also we're moving in three months, Aaron, and I think that will be exciting because we're going to have a room dedicated to podcasts, and I think you'll see more diverse media from Baseball America in the future. But we thank you for the download. Uh, Darren, maybe, maybe not, uh, emails also, um, what part does age have on a player's draft pick ceiling and moving up the ranks? I think he's talking about draft status. Uh, to me, Darren, that's a great example. What we just links in, we had 24-year-old uh, J- uh, Jeff Neiman and 20-year-old Jeremy Hellickson. You know, Jeremy Hellickson's got a chance to be in the big leagues when he's 22, whereas Jeff Neiman's still working through AAA, and because of injuries, uh, just last year pitched his first full season, and even in a full season, uh, still had to go on the disabled list uh, during August with a tired arm. What encouraged me the most about Jeff Neiman is that he his last start was his best start. Uh, to give you a preview of today's chat, I'm doing a, a Twins chat. Uh, it won't be a preview. You'll get this after the chat. But, you know, Nick Blackburn has had injury issues in his past, but he threw close to 190 innings this year, so that makes me bullish on his durability. So even though he's 25, he's had injury issues in the past. He's shown durability. I think he's ready at age 26 to be a solid big leaguer. But I think you know, Jeremy Hellickson, the younger you get to the big leagues, the better your chances of being a star, basically. I mean, that's the easy way to boil that down, Aaron. And, uh, you know, Darren has a question we might address next week when we have a little bit more time and we haven't prattled on for 40 minutes about 20 to 80, uh, the grading scale, and some examples of big leaguers who are 70 or 80 tools. Um, last but not least, Aaron, uh, with all the talk about pitchers out there, I'm interested in your t- take on the catchers around the American League and National League. Particularly a big fan of Kenji Jojima. Um, and also wants to know about the new Mariners knuckleballer, R.A. Dickey. Is this something that Jojima can handle? Is the difficulty of catching a knuckler overrated? Uh, Jason, I really don't think it is overrated. The Red Sox gave up a lot of talent to get a catcher, Doug Mirabelli, who can handle uh, Tim Wakefield because having a consistent number five starter like Tim Wakefield, I think, actually really is a very important. Tom Verducci over at Sports Illustrated did a great column about that this week, about how the importance of having stability in your rotation has helped Boston and be a big advantage for the Red Sox over the Yankees over the last uh, three or four years. So I don't think it's underrated, but I don't think R.A. Dickey is a huge factor, to be honest with you. No, I, I would agree with that. And also, I mean, you know, how big of a factor, how, how, how difficult is it to catch the knuckleball, uh, and how important is it to have someone who can handle it? Well, I mean, just consider this. The Red Sox benched Jason Veritek in the postseason in the World Series right. when Tim Wakefield's pitching. And this is uh, the, the captain of the team and a guy whose bat is much better than Doug Mirabelli's even in a down year. So. Absolutely smurfly. So uh, great questions. Keep them coming. Darren, we are going to get to yours next week on a regular edition of the Baseball America podcast. This is a long college edition, a two-parter. Aaron, we had more to say, but we probably shouldn't take any more time. But uh, There's always more to say, John. There is always more to say with us, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately as it goes. But looking forward to another great year of podcasting on college baseball with you. Uh, And also thanks uh, again to our sponsor, DeMarini. Anything else from you, Aaron? Thank you, DeMarini. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the download and for listening to another Baseball America podcast. For Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.